Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. Now your hosts. Hello and welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. I'm John Alois and I'm joined by Sean Degenhart. You are. <laughs> and John Redling Schaefer. Truly. <laughs> You can follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Hub Hyperion. You can email us at podcast at thehyperionhub.com. We will read your email on the show. We've got a great show this week. Let's start it off with our Disney views. Celebrating the life of Disney legend Tommy Kirk, who sadly passed away recently. He was one of Walt's 50s and 60s stars. He started on the Mickey Mouse Club on the serial The Hardy Boys and has a tremendous film record. He was in Old Yeller, The Shaggy Dog, uh, Swiss Family Robinson, The Absent-Minded Professor, Babes in Toyland, Moon Pilot, Bon Voyage, Son of Flubber, Savage Sam, and then two of my favorites, The Misadventures of Merlin Jones and the sequel, The Monkey's Uncle with Annette Funicello. And he was kind of that all-American boy-looking actor, and he was fun to watch and fun to see he and Annette play off of each other. I think one of my favorite films he was in, and you guys are going to laugh, but Babes in Toyland. I thought he, working with Ed Wynn, was just brilliant as the Grumio, you know, the assistant <laughs> and who came up with all the ideas and Edwin took over. I, there wasn't a movie that he made that I didn't enjoy him in. He was even, you know, even when he was that bratty little brother in uh, Swiss Family Robinson, he was fun to watch. I think they all rode ostriches at one mm-hmm. point. Um, he had some funny stories about that. And so happy to see him become a Disney legend in 2006. Uh, definitely earned it. He was in a, you know, Disney blockbusters for for the majority of the 1950s and half of the 60s so uh wonderful character actor and wonderful actor and leading role for disney um he had a quote of bumping into walt disney at a hotel in beverly hills and i think uh, walt was with hedda hopper the columnist and she he said um that walt put his arm around him and said this is my good luck piece to hedda hopper um, Tommy said, I never forgot that. That's the nicest compliment he ever gave me. Very cool. Well, we are thrilled to have with us on the Hyperion Hub today, Dan Cockrell, former vice president of Magic Kingdom. And we're going to back up a little bit from that um, and learn his fascinating story. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's, a, it's an exciting time. I know there's a lot of the 50th is just getting started, and so this is, a, this is a fun time to be talking about Disney. We've been watching all the social media feeds and all that stuff and just anxious to get down there and see what's going on. Yeah, we're headed back in November, so we'll get to, to see what's, uh, what's happening, all the decor. Great. So you started as a parking attendant at Epcot, and fast forward 26 years later to... Uh, you know, vice president of Magic Kingdom. Fill in those blanks for us. Gosh, <laughs> there's there's a lot of blank space in between there. <laughs> yeah, you know, my first job uh, was in my my first um, kind of job with Disney was in on the college program. So I worked at the Contemporary for a summer, and then I went back to school. And uh, uh, for two years, when I graduated, 
I didn't know what I wanted to do still. And I seem to have always kind of gone towards hospitality. Uh, I waited tables in college. I worked and waited tables in Ocean City, Maryland during the summers. And uh, I really enjoyed working at Disney. It's a very structured place. Uh, things are very organized and you get to interact with lots of people. And I think that's probably the key to my success was ending up working in an environment for a company that fit with what I like to do. You know, it's just when you, when you, when you can use your own personality to do well at your job, you do a lot better. So yeah, I took that job and uh, you know, I had a political science degree, so I didn't have a whole bunch of negotiating power. And, uh, and it's a common story at Disney, you know, frontline, there's a lot of executives that started in frontline roles. And I think it's a great testament to the company, how important it is that people understand the, the frontline, the actual guest experience. So I did that for six months and then had an opportunity to go to France and open Disneyland Paris as a uh, management intern. And uh, of course I did open the parking lot because that's what I knew. I learned how to park cars. And so um, got to France in January 1st of 1992, and we opened the park in April 12th of 92. So I got there about three months before the park opened. And uh, if you've ever seen the history of any property opening, I mean, the, the, the paint is literally wet the day you open. I mean, it's just you're putting the last touches on it. So it was a scramble. But we, uh, we got it open, and I ended up staying for over there for five years. Uh, my, my girlfriend, who I met in Florida, uh, we started dating. She's from France. We moved in together. And one day she said, well, your visa is going to expire in about two months. What's your plan? And I said, well, I've been thinking about that. And uh, I have a, I have an idea. I said, if we get married, I get my green card and I can stay. And she said, all right, that sounds good. So you know, she still gives me a hard time. We're in the most romantic city in the world. And we we agreed to get married while we're doing the dishes. So no so, front of the castle proposal, right? No, no. And I'm still paying for that, I'm telling you. Well, that's um, that's the poli-sci major coming through. You know, just we got to be practical. Let's figure out a plan. I like it. That's right. And we just got to make it happen. So we had a six-week engagement, got married, and then we stayed there for a, um, up until 1997. So I had various frontline roles uh, every year I went to a new job. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that getting diverse experience would help me in the future, whatever that meant. And I've uh, it was 19 jobs in total, so five at Disneyland Paris. And then when I got back to um, uh, came back to Florida in 97 and then spent uh, the next, um, gosh, 21 years working at Walt Disney World uh, theme parks. I was in uh, resort hotels for about six years. And then went back to parks and finished my career. The last nine years with there, I, I got to be the VP of Epcot for a couple of years, and then Hollywood Studios, and then Magic Kingdom. And then in uh, 2018, my, my wife and I, she, she asked me in 2017, um, what are we doing next? And I said, well, what do you mean next? You you retire here, and then you, <laughs> you, then you do. She said, well, come on, let's do something else. I thought she was crazy. So I, as I, I like to tell people, I put my foot down, and I said, absolutely not. And a year later, I resigned. So she it took her a while, but she usually is very influential in that way. And, uh, you know, my, my dad had retired from Disney in 2006 at 63 years old and ended up writing four books and, and started his own business. So I had a, we had an incredible mentor to learn from, and he accelerated our learning once we left Disney to learn how to run our own business and how to negotiate and do all the things you have to do as an entrepreneur and uh, we've been doing that now since uh, May of 2018, and it has been a roller coaster ride. 
trying to figure things out, how to learn things I didn't have to do before. Uh, COVID, you know, when when all your speeches get canceled, figuring out what plan B is. So it's been, a, it's been a lot of work, but it's been such a learning experience, and we really enjoyed the ride. Now, hospitality, I think, runs in the cockerel veins, because um, your dad, yes. of course, his history, I've loved reading his books and listening to his podcasts. So was his love of hospitality and just, you know, customer service, did that influence you? And, you know, I'm sure it was a great model for you growing up as well. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it's funny. Some some kids end up going something they follow in their their footsteps of their family, and other kids go off and do things totally different. And I think we're wired very similarly. We we enjoy being with people. We enjoy leadership. You know, I grew up being an athlete, and that and being an athlete, you get to work on teams. You have to collaborate. So a lot of those things ended up being the environments I like to work in. And um, so, uh, and I, you know, I grew up in hospitality. I, I tell people when I was six years old, I mean, I knew how to call room service. I didn't know how to calculate a tip, but I, I knew how to you know, order a, a hot fudge sundae and a cheeseburger. So I, I was in that business and uh, it's been, uh, you just learn, you meet so many people and just it, every day is so interesting, but it's not for everybody. It's, you know, you got to be wired a certain way and not everyone should work for Disney. Not everyone should work in banking. You got to figure out what it is that you're good at and get into that career, and you will have a, a great chance to really enjoy yourself and be good at what you do. Great advice. So tell us about Disney in Walt Disney World, just being on the ground, day-to-day -day operations. Uh, guests are coming in with a completely different approach than the people who work there. Tell us about what it was like to work in the parks, you know, new attractions and new things, and, and you have to learn new, new ways of doing things throughout your entire time there. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, when, you, when you get 19 different jobs, you're, you're kind of constantly on a learning curve. Um, I'd stay in a job for a year or two and move on to the next one. And that, I think that's really what helped me later in my career. I had worked in restaurants, I'd worked in retail, I'd worked in operations and events. So I had, I had a lot of the technical knowledge of having done that. So I had an empathy for what it took to execute upon that. Uh, and so I think, I think what, what I really learned at Disney is, um, and that's, what, that's why my wife and I are now able to go consult and speak and do workshops on this because we got an incredible education on how to run an operation. And what um, everything is meticulous at Disney. Everything has a plan. Everything there, everything is planned out and is intentional. Uh, where you stand uh, in 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 a spot when you're at a hotel or at a merchandise shop, uh, your your script, how you greet people, how you handle situations, um, all that gets. And so a lot of that is um, you know getting to do this consistently every day uh, because we. What I learned at Disney, there's a lot of pressure on you because People have saved their whole life, and you have to assume that family that's coming down, this has been a dream. Their parents have had a dream of taking their kids because they want them to have that childhood memory that they're going to think about forever. And, you know, it's for you, it's Tuesday. So you got you to get out of that day-to-day -day and really feel the weight of the responsibility to make the place feel like it's the opening day for people, and it is going to be a great day. And uh, it's hard to do that because, you know, every job and Disney especially is very repetitive. You know, Pirates of the Caribbean operates the same way every day. People are getting in line. They're getting their fast pass. They go through the queue line. They get loaded. They ride. They get unloaded. And so keeping it uh, constantly talking about the purpose to the employees, the cast members, and reminding them 
this is a big deal. I know this is a job to you. And I, you know, we know a lot of you love working here, but this is a big deal to make sure that these guests are going to get great experiences because it's not cheap and it may be the last time they're going to come. And so you get, you get really into how do you get repetition exciting and how do you get people excited coming in every day and having that glow and that sparkle when um, it's a hard job, it's tough. I mean, you're dealing with volumes of people and you have to keep that energy up. And it's, uh, I think people that come there and visit who want to work there, sometimes when they eventually get a job, they're like, wow, this is harder than I thought. And in my mind, that's what professionals do. They make hard things look easy. You know, if you've ever seen surfing competitions, you're like, that that looks cool. I'd like to try that. It's like, no, you don't. You'll drown because they're (laughs) professionals. And every time you see a magician, whoever you see do something professionally, it looks incredible. And when you try to do it yourself, it's really hard. So that's what, uh, that's what I learned about Disney is, and I could go on forever, but it was every single day you're going in saying, okay, today's, today is the, a big day and you couldn't, um, and it's 365. So you really got to be in that mode. And once again, that's why I think people in hospitality are wired that way. They're, they're ready every day to get that adrenaline up and, you know, get on it. You mentioned that mostly everything is scripted. Um, you know, you're going in with the same mindset. How much did Disney then prepare you to be flexible? How do you uh, take the curveball to right field? You know, I mean, how do you adjust? Yeah, it's a great question. And what I'll tell you, it's probably the 80-20 or the 90-10 rule. And I compare it um, kind of to jazz. You know, they people say when, you know, people kind of start, um, you know, playing jazz and they're going off in all these directions, there's still rules. It, it's not it's not pandemonium it's not chaos there there are rules to jazz and once you understand the rules then you can start being spontaneous and you can be creative and so um you know we, we're very meticulous in in the procedures some of them are because uh, safety related you know there's certain hand signals to dispatch a vehicle there's a certain way to do things but we also introduced uh which is i think another really strategic uh, difference with disney is uh, as we call them there, the four keys, the quality standards. And so, you know, and, and I'm sure you all know them, safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency. Um, so the way we think about Disney is we are going to train you as much as we can on what you need to know uh, and technically. And then we're going to give you a protocol. We're going to give you a framework on how to make decisions when you haven't been trained for the answer. Because, uh, you know, there's so many things that come up you can't even – imagine. You can't, you know, there's situations you just can't prepare for. And even if you could, you certainly couldn't put it in a training manual and have everyone remember every single situation that's going to occur. So you tell people safety is the number one quality standard. Before you make any decision, you always ask, is this a safe way to do it? So, you know, if I'm going to make magic for a family, um, there's lots of ways to do that. But one way to not do that is let someone who's one inch too short onto a ride because now I'm putting their safety in danger because those are in, in place for a reason. So we, you know, it's once again, it's kind of like, uh, you know, soccer or some other sports that are kind of free flowing. There's a structure to it. There's rules to it. You know what your role is. And then you learn how to be spontaneous based on getting experiences. And that's where I think that's where the magic happens because leadership, the, the leadership team has to let go a little bit and people be themselves and do their own thing. And when you do that, you're not in control anymore. But um, the reality is you're not in control anyway. You know, when that park opens and, you know, 60,000 people are coming in, no one's in control anymore. Everyone's influencing what's going to happen, including me. But everyone needs to step up and do their job and react to those moments where uh, they're just they don't have the answer, but they use their common sense. And we give them tools to use as common sense, which are the four keys. 
So 19 different positions. Do you have one that you look back on and say, that was my sweet spot? You know, if I had to do one of those for the rest of my life, that's what it would be. I think it's funny. I, I usually don't commit to one on a lot of things. People are like, what's your favorite movie? Or I say, well, I got top five. And they kind of rotate in and out. But I think one of the, the roles that I just was, was so great was my first executive role as a general manager. And I was the general manager of the Wilderness Lodge and the Fort Wilderness Campground. So for me, that's the epitome of the Disney experience outside of parks. Uh, The Wilderness Lodge is such a peaceful place. You just walk in there and just you can see the stress melt away on people. It smells nice. The music's playing. It's got those hardwood floors, the big fireplace and that you feel like you're in, you know, up somewhere in the northwest United States. Then you have um, uh, the whole lake operation there. So you got all these great activities going on. Then you go to the Fort Wilderness and, you know, you got the Chippendale sing-along. It's like, you know, it's, it's like kind of, I think, what Disney felt like in the 70s. If you went there, Chippendale are out there. They'd be playing. They'd probably be playing the movie on a reel-to-reel 8 millimeter. And now it's digital. But, you, you know, you make your s'mores. You got the hoop-de-do review every night and the dinner show. And, um, you know, I had a bicycle when I was there. So I'd get on my bicycle and ride around the campground in the morning, check in with people in the evenings on Thursday nights. I always work late. I'd go over there and check everything out. And that was my first GM role. So I'm like, I got, I had my own place to run. And then the diversity of, uh, of things I learned there and then the environment, everything kind of all came together. Hoop-de-doo is my favorite. Just waiting for that to reopen. Oh yeah. Can't wait. So as you're taking these steps, uh, through 19 different roles. I mean, sometimes I suppose there could be the financial incentive to do it, but was it the challenge of something new that drove you? You know, a management intern to go to Paris, once in a lifetime opportunity, especially before the park opens. But I, sure. I, I in, in my mind, I'm just trying to wrap my head around, that's a lot of hopping around to, to find yeah. what you love and what, and obviously it's been a huge success for you and it's amazing to to break it down as you look at all the various steps but what what drove you to make those many jumps for me i think it's uh you know, my my parents are their approach to life as i grew up my wife you know valerie when she was 16 she left uh france and moved to london and lived there for a year and a half taking care of some kids as an au pair girl and learned how to speak english uh, she took, uh, after she worked at the Epcot, the French Pavilion, she got on a train and she took Greyhound buses across the U.S. and uh, got a taxi to Tijuana and got on a train to Mexico City. And <laughs> so I think, you know, this, uh, there's this concept of wa- uh, wanderlust, you know, just getting new experiences and doing things. And I grew up, uh, we moved eight or nine times when I was growing up. And so I really became comfortable with change. I think, you know, I, my parents still talk about back then, we'd move in a new neighborhood and I'd go door to door you know, as like, you know, third, second or third grade. Hey, how are you? I'm Dan. Do you have any kids? You know, these days they're like, that would be the psycho killer is going to get you. But you know, back then you just do that. So uh, I think what, what I, I, I learned early on was, uh, you know, at the end of, um, you know, our lives are a collection of experiences and relationships. And I've, I've, from a young age, I couldn't define it, but I knew that I just really loved getting new experiences and trying new things. And the more you do that, the more you become comfortable with getting into situations that you're really not, you know, you, you can't handle and you figure it out and you learn how to count on people. And I found myself counting on my teams because I went into jobs where I had no, now I ran merchandise, the Magic Kingdom for a year and a half. And I don't even like to shop. 
So I really had to lean on the experts on that team and say, look, I'm trusting you. You got to tell me how, how we're going to do this because I'll give you the resources you want and I'm going to make sure that we have a great environment to be in, but I'm not an expert here. So part of it too, I think you got to let go of your ego a little bit. Because a lot of people get nervous. Well, if, if I don't technically know how to do the job, people won't respect me. You know, as a leader, in my opinion, you're there to create an environment for everyone and let people do what they do. And the more I did that, the more I learned that that was my approach and I got to a point where I'm like, there's really no job I can't go do because I've learned how to um, you know, be a generalist and count on the experts. And luckily at Disney, you got lots of experts. You know, I probably couldn't have done that in other companies, but Disney, you have people who have been there a long time who know what they're doing. And so that was, uh, that was a, a very uh, advantage for me to be able to move into new roles without kind of knowing how to do the job. Now, your dad was a longtime executive with, uh, with the Disney company and in Walt Disney World and in Paris, and you were there at the same time. Talk about what type of pressure it was. You know, I mean, some might think that you would have been able to skate through, but knowing by listening to your podcast and to your father's podcast, just from what I've learned there's no way either of you were going to let that happen. So can you talk yeah. about what it was like to be at the company and while your dad was there in such a high role? Yeah, you know, it was it was something that I was concerned about when I joined the company because he, he joined in 1990 and then I joined in 91 a year later. And I was always concerned because, you know, when you're younger, it's kind of like, you know, am I, am I getting this opportunity because of my relationship, because of my, my dad? And for years, I, I would really kind of, when people ask me about it, I'd sort of say, well, look, I've kind of earned my stripes. I worked in France. I opened the parking lot and, and I talked to, and I, I, for about 10 years, that was my, my approach. And I talked to a guy one day who worked for a, a, a different company outside of Disney I met, and his uncle was the CEO and we talked about this issue and, I, and I, he said, how do you handle it? And I said, well, here's kind of what I say. He said, you know, Dan, I used to be that way too, but no one believes that. Do you think your dad helped you with your career? I said, well, yeah, you know, he raised me. He taught me a lot. He introduced me to people at Disney. I got my foot in the door there. He gives me advice. He goes, well, why don't you just tell people that? Because it's true. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so finally, you know, my teams would say, well, are you here because your dad? I'm like, absolutely. And they're like, what? You admitted it? I'm like, well, yeah, he's great. He's, he's given me, I took a time management class from him when I was like 16 years old. <laughs> and so, so once you, once you put it out there, people were like, well, okay, I guess the drama's over because you admitted it. So now, and then, then you get into the job and do the job. So, um, you know, I, I got to a point where if it was really that much pressure and it was that distracting, I would go work somewhere else. But I loved working at Disney, and so did he. And we had our moments. People were wondering, you know, if I tell you something, um, are you going to tell Lee? Um, or if I tell you something, can you tell Lee? And I'm like, no, you, you call. Here's his number. You call him. I don't work for him. I have a different boss. And so you had to, you know, you had to be sensitive in how you handled that. But um, what I what I learned over time is you have to be gracious. And uh, I thought it was a privilege for him to be working there. And I think he thought it was a privilege for me to be working there. And we both had to make sure that we did a, you know, had a good um, reputation because we were reflecting on each other. And that included my wife, you know, Valerie worked there for, for, for 15 years and she had to do that. And all three of our kids worked there at some point, hmm. you know, either working in horticulture uh, or working in uh, outdoor food. Our son worked in engineering on an internship. 
And so we told them, you don't have to work at Disney, but if you do, you have our last name. And we're not telling you you have to be perfect, but you're reflecting on, uh, you know, the, the legacy our, our, our family is known for. And they all took that very seriously and they did it. They did really well with it. And it's been a, it's been fun to watch how we all took that, took that on and realized that we wanted to leave a, a great legacy behind. One of the things I've appreciated about your dad and you is just the approachability and genuine desire to help people. Uh, my wife and I took a trip um, in January of 2020, just about a month and a half before COVID, just the two of us. And I met your dad at a coffee shop and, you know, had him sign, you know, one of the books he's got. And we talked about some conferences we were planning on him, you know, speaking at. And so just yep. the genuineness of wanting to help people has been really appreciated, I know, by a lot of people. That's good. And I think that's just a good way to do business. It's a good way to live your life. It's do a good way to do business. And uh, I'm a big you know, believer in kind of uh, karma and creating your own luck. And when you treat people right and you take care of them and you do things for them without any expectation of a, you know, a return value, uh, it always pays back. And I'm learning that now that I'm independent and, you know, people call me and say, Hey, you know, I, I met you, you know, one guy was in security. He said, Hey, I, you know, used to kind of, uh, when I was a manager at the magic kingdom, uh, you'd stop by security and check in, and we chatted, and I really appreciated that. And I'm I'm running cybersecurity for um, um, Facebook now. I'd wonder if you'd come speak to our group. And you know, when I was when I was there five or six years ago, I wasn't thinking I'm going to stop by security and spend time and talk to this guy because someday I might leave and he might be at Facebook. You know, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so I think you just got to treat people right, and uh, it it always comes back to you. So after that prompting from Valerie and thinking about, you know, what's next, tell us what you are, what you guys are doing, all of everything you're involved with now. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, went out, out of the gate in 2018, two weeks later, I was in Croatia uh, doing some work for a hotel company and I came back and then we were, we did some uh, work in Peru for a train company and, you know, people call in, can you do a, a speech and a workshop? And I, I looked at Valerie, I'm like, you know, entrepreneurs say this whole thing is stressful and hard. I'm like, this is a breeze. And then COVID hit and then everyone canceled and we had no gigs. And I said, okay, this is the part where entrepreneurship is really hard because, you know, you don't get paid on Thursday <laughs> because if you don't work, you don't get paid. So we have, um, we've learned a ton over the past three and a half years. Uh, we, um, I do keynote speeches. I talk about culture. I talk about leadership. The good thing about this topic is it applies to every business. If you have customers and you have employees and you're trying to um, get resources or, or make money, I can talk to you. So we've talked to uh, accounting firms, concrete companies, uh, healthcare companies, hospitals, uh, you name it, it's, uh, it's in play. Uh, we also do workshops together. You know, Valerie was a facilitator at the Disney Institute for about seven years. And so she's great at building structure and presentations. And so we co um, we co-facilitate full-day workshops for companies on how to, we call it method to the magic. Um, how do you how do you think about putting products and services together on how you deliver your service first to your customers? And then how do you organize yourself internally as a company to make sure your employees are set up for success to deliver great service to your customers? And so we, it's a full-day session. Um, I wrote a book, uh, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom?, that came out last August, 2020. Got my Got a copy, copy there. Right here. I love yeah. seeing it. Yeah. I love seeing it on the screen. <laughs> um, we I have a podcast called Come Rain or Shine. Jody Mayberry and I have been doing for the past three and a half years. 
uh, we've created a, a college course uh, that we've been running uh, for about a year and a half now. And we just finished up two seven-week courses, one on leadership and one on uh, uh, customer service that we're launching at Northern Arizona University in a couple weeks. And we're going to be selling that to universities. It's a a full um, online course, all of Lee's books and my books on there. We've done uh, 14 40-minute videos on various topics. There's reading quizzes. And so we've figured that out. Um, I have an online community called The Perch. We have uh, a subscription. And so we have member about 60 members. And we meet uh, uh, three or four times a month and do presentations online. People help each other. We refer each other. Uh, and it's been a, that's been great. Uh, so there, it, there's, we've tested a lot. Some has failed. Some has been successful, but we've basically taken the approach like we do at Disney. What, what do customers need? And once we understand what they need, let's create products and services that they're going to buy. And that's the, that's the approach we've taken. So we've tried not to narrow what we do and just be, um, not get into sort of a rut and do the same thing over and over again, but try new things. So if it works, keep doing it. If it doesn't quit doing it. Since you've retired, have you slept? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> best advice. Uh, you know, I, you have all these wonderful quotes and, and everything you're, you're talking about. We get to hear in the podcast and, and read in your books. What's the, what's the top? What's the best advice you've received? And what do you usually give to others? Yeah, I think there's probably two that come top of mind. And if you ask me on any day of the week, the advice will probably be different. It just depends on what I've been talking about this week and doing podcasts on and, and discussing with. Uh, my, my go-to, which I bring up every single time I have an opportunity, it's uh, something my grandfather uh, had had left me with. Um, you know, he was uh, uh, a, he retired as a rear admiral in the Navy. He was in the, um, the U.S. Naval Academy, class of '42. He went, you know, he was in three-year class because they had to go to war, and he was on the Columbia during the war, and he was just an incredible guy. And um, one of the things I have a frame, uh, his, was he says is, uh, you do your best and then you forgive yourself. And I just thought, and people hear that differently. They get different meanings out of it. But the way I look at it is every single day you get up and you do the best you can. And sometimes the best you can is going to be a miserable failure, but you do the best you can. And there's days where I go to bed at night. I'm like, you know what? I didn't do the best I could today. I, I gave up. I quit too early. I wasn't motivated. I wasn't disciplined. But as long as you know that, um, you forgive yourself, you let it go, and you get up the next day, and you try doing it a little bit better the next day. Because most people, um, either they're not driven to do their best, and when they do, don't do that, they carry guilt with them, and they don't let go of the past. You can't change the past. And people feel guilty for you know letting things go, but I really think you need to. So that's one thing. The other is uh, I've been talking about a lot lately is you know success, and you know there's all these classes online and social media talks about what success is, and as I get older, more and more I'm just really getting it's more and more clear to me. Only you can define what your success is, and only you can decide if you've reached your success. And we let everyone else tell us what success looks like. You go on Facebook. And as someone told me, you see everyone else's highlight reel. You don't see anything else. And most, and a lot of what you see isn't even real. And you, and you end up telling yourself, why can't I have a life like that? Why can't I travel there? Why can't I be that happy with my kids? It's like, look, five minutes after they took that picture, they got in a fight. But we don't see any of that stuff. So we're always wondering why we can't you know, have the success everyone else has. And, and I'm starting to realize, you know what? Figure out what it is for you. Come up with your own scorecard and decide. And if you do that, uh, I think you'd be much happier, much more content. 
Um, I know people that have lot, a lot of money who are miserable because they just have no purpose. They don't know what they want to do. And I know people that don't have, don't have a lot of money and they're miserable too, because they want to make more and have more opportunities. So you got to find that, um, that thread. What is it that's going to make you happy? What is it that's going to, and, and, you know, happiness isn't something that comes every day either. There's going to be uh, there's a great movie. One of my favorite, uh, really good one of my top five uh, called vanilla sky. It's with uh, Tom Cruise. It was, and I'm an eighties kid. So it's from back from the eighties and nineties. And there's a line in that movie that says you, you, there can't, there can be no sweet without the sour. And you got to have some rough times to enjoy the good times. Um, but I think you just got to decide what success is for me. It's taking care of myself. It's having a great relationship with my family and doing well in my career. Three things. And it's simple. Break it down. And every day I think about that. So today I did not exercise. I didn't run. I got up early. I worked. I did a bunch of stuff. I got a zero today on taking care of myself. My wife and I had a pretty good day. I didn't say anything to really make her annoyed or, you know, so, and the day's not over yet, but I'm doing pretty well. And if this podcast goes well, this could be a one and a half out of three day. And that's a great day. Well, it's superb so far. So thank you for that. All right. Good. Yeah. Dan, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Uh, How can folks find you online? We have two websites. One we created when we first left that I sort of designed called dancockrell.com. And then about a year later, Valerie came up with cockerelconsulting.com and it's like 10 times better. So I'd say go to cockerelconsulting.com. Uh, we're on there. She's on there. We got videos. We got, if you need, want to reach out, my cell phone number's on there, my email address. And uh, I love when people have questions about things or want to check in. Um, I, you know, as, as my dad does, people say, well, who checks your email? He's like, well, I do. <laughs> I got my phone. <laughs> well, don't you have assistance? No, I like to run. I like to run lo- low overhead. So we, uh, in that accessibility is something we're pretty proud of. So uh, uh, if you go to uh, cockerelconsulting.com or you can find everything about us there. And then you've got the podcast, Come Rain or Shine. Come Rain or Shine. Yeah, we're, uh, we're three and a half years into that. So we've, um, we're getting over, we're up over 200 episodes now. Yeah. And then the book, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom, which is fantastic. Highly recommend that for everybody that's listening. Before we go, favorite food item from Magic Kingdom. Favorite food item from the Magic Kingdom. Um, There's two, I think. One is uh, certainly, I don't still know if they're still running it, but we came up with the um, Dole Whip upside down pineapple cake. Uh, that was a, we're like, okay, if you like Dole Whip, let's put some cake in there and just add a few dollars, make more money. And people love that. So, and it's usually, if it's good if it's warm. So you, they put it on the bottom. And so that's one. And then um, the thing I loved, uh, it's, you know, I, I, we, I was there when we changed it, so I shouldn't be saying this, but, you know, at the, at Pecos Bill's, you know, we had the, the, uh, the burgers with the big topping bar mm. at one point. And, um, you know, it's doing really well now with the Tex-Mex, the Mexican mm-hmm. food and everything, but that was always, you always got a great value there because, you know, sauteed onions and um, all the fixings. And I think still they have a lot of that cosmic rays, but if you want a good cheeseburger, the topping bar, I'm hoping they're keeping it there because it's, uh, it's pretty good. Dan, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. What a treat. Our thanks to Dan Cockrell for joining us this week. Next week, we have a big announcement. We're going to have our first giveaway. So make sure you're listening to the show next week and every week. And also follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. We're at Hub Hyperion. 
email us at podcast at the Hyperion Hub.com. That's all from here, everyone. Have a great week. We're glad you could join us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email or send us a recorded audio message at podcast at the Hyperion Hub.com. Find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Hyperion Hub is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or its subsidiaries. We'll meet you next time at the Hyperion Hub. Thank you.